thank you for our band who've led us so beautifully this morning. Um, if you'd like to take your seats. Rick is going to come and share God's word with us in a moment. I did uh, Google Rick. I've never met him before. Um, I Google myself sometimes just to see if there's anything about me that I don't know, which is quite fun. Try it if you haven't. Um, you might find some images of yourself which you didn't know were out there on the internet. Um, he's led quite a wide and varied life. Um, and uh, we're so privileged to have um, him and Lindy this morning uh, coming to share God's word. So over to you. Well, oh, there we go. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm, I'm going to start, actually, uh, before I get to the sermon, uh, with a word uh, for Nathan and Jules. Uh, and normally, I would probably just go to Nathan and Jules and give them this word. Uh, but I feel, as it, alongside it being a word for them, it's also a word to strengthen and encourage you as a church. As they embark on this next adventure, you guys are sending them and a part of their adventure. You've been a part of the community that has shaped and formed them and are now sending them. So that's why I want to do it, if you like, publicly, not any other reason, just to know that you guys are a part of their story, have been a part of their story, and will continue to be a part of their story. So I was drawn particularly, Nathan and Jules, to... Ephesians chapter 3, and it's this wonderful letter to the Ephesian church. It's, it's, it is my favorite letter, if you're allowed. I think you're allowed to have a favorite letter, aren't you, in the, in the scriptures? Uh, and it's this point here where Paul is talking about this mystery that has been held a mystery until now. And then he gets to this point here, and he says, to be specific... Up until now, he's just spoken in terms of mystery, but now he says, to be specific, that the Gentiles, and the Gentiles is the root word, the Greek word ethnos, where you get ethnography from. It's, it's the root word where we get nations from. So the nations are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. And I believe that you guys, the, your very marriage and your family, as two nations come together, prophetically hold a picture of what God wants the church to be like, where he calls in all nations and all tribes and all tongues to worship him. And as you go into the States... I, I was reminded, I don't know, I might be dating myself here, but that Sting song, An Englishman in New York. And I know you're not going to New York, but Jules has been over here and probably has experienced something of this, where you are, there's, there's, a, there's a similarity, but there's a difference. And what that does, and Nathan, you're going to feel that in a greater way when you go to the States. And what that does, the gift of that, even though it can take you through some difficult times, the gift of that is that you then know what it feels like to be the one who's other, and therefore the one who is able with an empathy to bring people together and to bring those who are feeling other into the church as it displays God's 
the mystery that, that Paul also talks about was an eternal purpose of Christ. So I just want to bless you guys with that. When you go, you guys as a unit and as your family are a picture in some ways of what Christ was talking about here, what Paul was talking about here. And then it goes on to say this. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And faith is going to be a big part. Faith has been a big part, I guess, of your decision and to move over there. And also then goes on that you will be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that you know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And you guys are going to know faith and you're going to be rooted and grounded and have an understanding of the bright depth, breadth, width of that love in Christ. And as you embody that, you take that into where you're going and you, your family, are going to be a picture of that and that will draw people in to the body of Christ. So just bless you guys. Just so encouraged uh, for your new adventure. Right, we can now get to the word, if you like. So my name is Rick Garvey. Uh, it's not every morning that someone stands up and says they Googled me. Uh, so <laughs> that, was, uh, that was interesting. Um, but I thought, I firstly wanted just to thank Andrew and Nathan and Rob and Sean for the invitation to come uh, and be part of your sermon series on Psalms. It's a wonderful honour. But it seems like an introduction could be appropriate at this stage, as I know some of you, but perhaps for most of you, I may be a bit of an unknown factor. So I'm one of the pastors at Jubilee Church Farnham, which is another commission church. Uh, And so I see Andrew and Nathan at various commission leadership events. And in fact, Nathan and I were down in Winchester a couple of weeks ago at a leadership day, and it was great to bump into Nathan and to catch up. I'm here with my wife, Lindy. Uh, We've been married for 24 years uh, this year, uh, and we have four children. My eldest is our only son, Samuel, uh, and he's going off to uh, university in September. He's just finishing his A-levels. And when he does so, when he goes off to university, uh, he will leave me in the house, home alone, with four Garvey women, uh, so Lindy and our three girls. Rachel is 17 and she is doing her first year in sixth form college. Gabriella is 13 and Sophie, our youngest, is 11 and they're uh, back in Farnham this morning. So it's a pretty busy household, but it's lots of fun. Uh, as you may have picked up, I'm Australian uh, and Lindy is South African and I lived in South Africa for five years, went and set up an adult education centre in one of the townships out there uh, between 1995, the end of 95, and then we came back here in 2001 to the UK. I had a career in uh, banking up the city of London for about 15 years before I joined the church and the staff team at Jubilee Church in 2016. And that was a really big transition for me, going from the trading floor to the church floor was exciting, interesting, and challenging in equal measure. It was one of the biggest transitions, going from something that was very, very structured and you sort of knew what you were doing down to the minute, to something that was quite different. But it was the most wonderful move and transition I've made. And that brings us 
to this morning and to Psalm 27. And what a psalm it is, Psalm 27. Commentators of a generation ago argued whether this psalm was actually two psalms that someone had stitched together. And there was a big argument whether they sat together well or not. Mostly these days, people and commentators do argue for its unity as one psalm. It's a psalm of David, and it has different aspects to it, these different elements and different notes to it. You see these overarching themes of David's single-minded desire to be in God's presence, to trust in God's goodness. And importantly, knowing both of these, knowing God's presence and trusting in his goodness in times that are difficult, in seasons that are challenging. So let's read through the psalm from start to finish. And I've put it up here on the slides. And what I thought would be great is for you to read it to me. So I will uh, kick us off, and then if you can, with your best voice, and what I often find that this, we sort of flip into sort of default, like back at school mode, and we all start to read along at a similar time and rhythm, but let's try and do it as best we can. So, and I'll then click through the slides. Let's do this together. The Lord is my light.
Amen. Well done, everyone. Well done. So can you see the different aspects of this psalm that I was mentioning, these different notes? We see a confidence expressed in the Lord, my salvation, my light, my stronghold. Yet we also see enemies, the wicked coming to devour and armies beseeching David. We are seeking the Lord's presence as a singular ambition and see that as David's desire of his heart alongside the day of trouble. And finally, we see David's foes rising up against him with malicious accusations alongside an unwavering confidence that he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There is indeed a lot going on in this psalm. So my opening question for all of us to reflect on this morning is this. What makes you fearful or afraid? What makes you fearful or afraid? You see, the thing I love about the psalms is that they are so real and so raw. Indeed, your sermon series is called Real. The Psalms don't hide from emotions. It's not like they try and tidy up sort of emotional, messy people before you read about them in the Scripture. And I can imagine for each of us, there are different triggers that can bring about fear or anxiety. As a parent, I know too well the fears and worries that can come from when your children go through different seasons in life. There's friendships, there's relationships, there's exams, and more generally, how will they get on in life? In this uncertain economic time, does job security worry you? Or perhaps you're not in work at the moment, and looking for a, work can, for a job can be very stressful. Or perhaps you have parents that are entering older age and how you will care for them, how you'll respect their autonomy or simply face into what might be a more limited time with them can make you worried. My dad's over in Australia and he's turning 91 in August. And it's times like that that I feel very far away from him. Or perhaps, for some of us, we are those parents entering older age. And some of the challenges that brings is worrying you. You see, in life, there are just so many things that can bring up fear and worry in us. Sometimes, I think it can be the wrong thinking about what the Christian life is all about. And I've spoken with many people over the years who seem to think that following Christ is equated with a life of no problems and no suffering. And I don't know where this thinking comes from, other than perhaps an overly zealous, good-hearted people maybe sharing a bit of a lopsided gospel, because Jesus could not be clearer on this. And when you see him in John 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you these things. Why? so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. What Jesus promises and what a life following Christ includes is peace in the midst of your troubles, not a trouble-free life. Indeed, we should not be surprised when troubles come our way, but rather in those troubles we seek Christ and find his peace. And we see in our psalm this morning, David is surrounded with troubles, with enemies and foes, and yet something has happened in him that he is able to make such a bold and profound declaration of truth. God is my light. God is my salvation. And God is my stronghold. Who should I fear? Why should I be afraid? And what the psalm puts before us here then is two alternatives. Faith or fear. And David declares that God is his light. And light in the scripture symbolizes God's good activity in the world. And particularly in contrast to darkness. And we remember the creation account where God's command was, let there be light. We also see David describes the Lord, his, his salvation, that which brings wholeness and healing and peace into our lives, restoring us to right relationship with God. And then he finishes with, God is my stronghold, my refuge or my defense. And in the face of enemy armies and evil foes, David embraces Trust in the mighty fortress who is our saving and protecting God Almighty. Amen. God is worthy of our trust and faith. Yet sometimes I find myself suddenly facing an unexpected or very difficult life situation. And what I notice is there's actually a gap between what I believe and my lived experience. Have you ever experienced that? Suddenly you're thrown in a situation and, and you notice, I believe this and yet I'm living this way. There was a scholar back in the 1970s who was looking at this across the Christian uh, audience and recognized that in many people's lives they experience this gap between what they believe and how they live such that he named this gap the sanctification gap. And that gap is not always obvious to us. It can often go unnoticed in our lives until we're thrown into a painful or difficult situation and it shows itself to us in uncomfortable ways. So let's just take this psalm as an example of what I'm trying to express here. If you're a follower and disciple of Jesus here this morning, then you will no doubt believe that God is our protector, our fortress, our saving grace, and our refuge. We would all say a hearty amen to that. We would also likely say that everything we know about who God is his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love is shown to us in Jesus Christ. We would also say amen to, God's, to David's bold statement then, whom should I fear? Yet, when we face that enemy in life, 
when that evil foe makes slanderous accusations against you, when you hear that diagnosis, when we're grieving with an unexpected and tragic loss, sometimes we see in our lives more fear than faith, at least initially. And so I'm always so interested to understand what's happened in a person's life that takes them from believing the truth to living the truth. Because it's one thing to say you believe it, it's another thing altogether to live into that truth. And so that your life demonstrates that truth, not just your words say and agree that truth. But I see in David a man who is living the truth and it makes me wonder, what happened to him? What went on in David's life that he's able to make this bold accusation? What did David do to mind the sanctification gap, if you like? Or perhaps the better question is, what did God do in David that he's able to make this bold claim? Whom shall I fear? And I think we find the answer in verse 4. And it says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We see here David's single-minded commitment. It is the one thing he asks, the one thing he will do, to seek and dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him and to know his presence. It is a single-minded determination to value the Lord's presence and to seek him above all else. And it's not so much a desire to live in church, like live here 24 hours a day. Nathan would probably scoop you out if you tried to do that. But it is that desire in our hearts that wants us to continually come back into his presence with his people and seek him together and know him. It's being so overwhelmed with the wonder and the beauty and grace of God that being in, it, being in his presence is our utmost desire. In essence, if you like, it's the continual re-gospeling of our hearts so that we are persistently having our hearts gripped with the love and the grace and the mercy of God. It all comes down to encountering the life-giving presence of God. And you can see it here in David. You can see that for David, being in the Lord's presence, experiencing him in a personal way is his utmost desire. And we have competing desires in our heart, don't we? Or is that just me? I love ice cream. I don't love so much what ice cream can do to me at my age. We have these competing desires in our hearts. And so the presence here is 
or, or, or what David's saying is his utmost desire above all else is to seek him and be in his presence. When David says it is his one request, it shows that it is his most important, the most important thing to him. And in fact, if nothing else happens, that, that is the one thing that David desires. I'm sure David must have been a preacher because he says here, this is my one request. And then if you notice a little bit later in the psalm, he makes about three or four other requests. <laughs> but what he's saying, because he says this, it's his first, it's his utmost, it's, it's the thing that grips his heart the most to inquire of the Lord and to behold his beauty. It is an utter preoccupation with God's person his nature, his character, his presence and his will. It's the essence of worship. But not only worship, it's also the essence of discipleship. That road, that journey we take where we become more and more like Christ. The Holy Spirit working in us, us partnering with him. And as we journey along, he's working in us to make us more and more Christ-like. Worship and discipleship. The essence of it is seeking his presence. And if we want to move from agreeing with ideas and truths about God to living them out in our daily lives through difficult circumstances, because in my life experience, I've found that much easier when things are going well. But when things are difficult... And you have to press into the goodness of God when everything around you seems to be challenging that very notion. I believe the first step is that single-minded treasuring of the person and presence of the Lord God Almighty. It is an encounter with Jesus Christ through his presence, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we close the sanctification gap and have our hearts and our lives transformed. And I just wonder how many of us here today need an encounter with Jesus Christ like the one I'm being describing. Perhaps you are facing a life-challenging situation at home, at work, in your family, whatever it may be. And what you find is that if we're honest, fear is bubbling up to the surface more than faith. You are finding the situation overwhelming and you're desperately in need of God's presence to move you from fear to faith. Perhaps you're a bit like me and when I find myself in one of these situations, I, I often kind of just get frenzied with activity. I don't know if you're like that. I, 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 I go into fix mode. And after 24 years of marriage with my wife, I should know that that is the wrong thing to do. Husbands can say amen. But I do. I, I go into this fixed mode where I, I try and solve the problem. I try and fix it and do what I can. And, and, and there's something okay with that. But when, and what often happens in my life when I reflect on it, I seem to get to the end of myself with all this frenzied activity. And then I notice that the Lord has always been there, waiting for me to open my eyes open my arms and open my heart and turn to him. Is there anyone else in the room that perhaps is 
resonates. The longer I live as a disciple of Jesus, the more I realize that this is a journey, that we are none of us, none of us are the finished article, and that I often need to learn the same lesson over and over and over again till it seeks and seeps deep into my heart. So don't feel condemned in any way if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling bit worried or anxious or fearful about a situation. Rather, what we need to do is recognize that's going on. Own that, repent of it, and ask God to work afresh in our hearts. Be confident that he will never leave you nor forsake you, but that he is working constantly in your lives to transform you into the image of Christ. The scriptures say that, that we are being transformed day by day, glory by glory, into his image. Amen. And you see, when we trip up, when we stumble in our faith, his grace and his mercy is always there and covers us. It reminds me of a great quote from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the great South African, talking about his own journey of faith. And he says this, when I trip over and fall in the dust, my heavenly father does not come wagging with his finger in an angry manner, frustrated with me, but rather he scoops me up in his arms and he dusts me off and he says, do better next time. Together, do better next time. We'll do better. And I want to draw us to a close with verse 13 and 14. And it says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I was so encouraged this morning. Just hearing already coming through the words and from Sean. It's funny, when you're, when you're a church leader, you, you notice things when you come into someone else's house. And so I was talking with Sean I was about something earlier. And I said, Sean, I think you're the responsible elder. And he said, yeah, that's right. And then I sort of had a little bit of a smile. Does that mean that Rob and Nathan are the irresponsible ones? <laughs> and Sean assured me that is the case. Yeah, so. <laughs> but Sean brought this word about waiting. We are going to remain confident of this, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And Harvest Church Alton, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is not some future only hope. This is for today. This is the Lord's presence experienced today. And we will see his goodness in the land of the living. And so I want to call the band back up. And we're going to live the scripture this morning. We're going to wait for the Lord. We are together going to be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. And this is not sort of a wait, a passive wait and see, but rather an active and intentional seeking of the Lord because we know he is here with us. It's waiting with an expectation, knowing that he is amongst us this morning and wanting to move powerfully in our lives. The trust and faith we spoke of this morning is nurtured in worship. It's nurtured particularly 
as we stand together side by side as a community of faith. And I want to encourage all of you, Harvest Church, let's stand and if you want to, there's no pressure and there's nothing particularly special about these couple of meters at the front, but if you want to come to the front as an expression of an action and a faith, then I'd ask you to come forward and end, we're going to enter into his presence and we're going to ask, I want all of us to ask with that single-minded focus to live in the presence of the Lord all the days of our lives and to make it your highest ambition and desire to behold the beauty of the Lord. So if you're facing one of those life-challenging, life-changing situations, if you're feeling overwhelmed or worried or anxious about a situation, Come and enter into the presence of the Lord and behold his beauty. We aren't going to do, if, if there's people that want prayer, then I'm sure uh, Sean and I'll be happy to pray. And there's probably a team to pray. But other than that, please come and ask Sean. Other than that, we're going to come and we're going to wait and be in God's presence. So let me pray. I'll then hand over to Nathan. And if you want, come forward. If not, stand where you are, sit where you are, but know to enter into God's presence because it's that first step that takes us from that worry and fear and anxiety to faith. So, Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your living word, sharper than any double-edged sword, Lord, that pierces right down into the very core of us. And I pray, come and particularly be with us now as we worship together side by side. And my prayer is for this community, for this family of faith to encounter the goodness of the Lord in the day, in the land of the living today to know your presence. So come Holy Spirit, I ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to, come forward. If not, and you're able to, let's stand and let's worship Him. Amen.